Welcome to Get Offset. My name is Emily, and I'm here this week with Nisei Bell. How are you doing today? Hi, everyone. Yeah, I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing I'm doing all right. I was kind of up late uh, filming and editing a video for a piece of gear that I think will be out today that I probably shouldn't talk more about, just in case it does not, in <laughs> fact, get released today. I feel that I am planning to spend the rest of today editing because it's been a month since my last upload. And Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I like, you know, you ever get this where you have a video and you're getting close to it being done and you realize, fuck, I don't really want to do this anymore. And so you start with a new idea. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Uh, <laughs> I have like five to ten projects that are partially either filmed written up or like storyboarded or some shit mm-hmm. and uh yeah i should probably do some of those <laughs> i mean you've been like uploading non-stop it seems like i feel like every single time i'm opening up youtube there's a new upload from you on there yeah you know they, there are pros and cons to doing that for for sure one is like you're always there <laughs> you're kind of omnipresent mm-hmm. but uh it kind of goes back and forth. My big issue right now is I just have such a big backlog of stuff. Like, I think I start, like, I was out of town all of August, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Like, after, like, I was gone for, like, three weeks. So now I have stuff kind of scheduled tentatively, like, through October into November. And frankly, I'm going to... I'm going to go in later today and we'll be like, no, no four videos a week, no four video <laughs> weeks. Like, I got to be more realistic about like my capacity to do this and not uh, hate my life. <laughs> I I totally get that. I mean, I, I feel like that whole planning ahead, I was so good about that when I first started my channel. I was like, yeah. And then this date, we're going to release this video. We're going to shoot on that one. And I just like, I got started to get a little burnt out from it. I don't even know. Yeah. I don't know how people start to keep up with weekly uploads. Like you talk to every single YouTuber that has some sort of advice about how to make it to the streams. Like you got to keep up weekly uploads. You got to keep up shorts. You got to keep up all this. I'm like, dude, I, I'm barely handling working and filming at the same time. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really hard. Well, some people like who do release nearly every day, like Ryan Burke from 60 Cycle Hum or mm-hmm. um, Ryan Polak. Palaki from Demos in the Dark, that is their full-time job, essentially, is, like, making content. So that makes it a lot easier for them. But, like, unless you want to give up weekends... I mean, your videos are also a lot more involved than mine. Like, I do one take with a pedal or a guitar a lot of the times, or I just, like, write up a script and, like, vlog it at people. (laughs) (laughs) So it's just kind of different versus you or... um someone like Joan of Heart who animates uh, mm-hmm. stuff. So, like, yeah, it's good. I, I, weekly does sound really difficult unless you want to give up an entire weekend. That's a day of totally. filming and a day of editing, at least. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think, I think the, the people in my life would like to see me sometimes with, like, the limited time I already have. So, yeah, I think oh. I'll stick to this weird every two to one month upload, like, kind of thing. And... Yeah, as long as it's still fun, right? Yeah, I mean, if the quality of the content is there, and so far it's been definitely been there, <laughs> I, like the like okay, once a month is still consistency. Consistency totally. is key. It doesn't have to be every week. I'm writing an article right now about like 
podcasting in, in general. And like I've had this mentality for a long time that the podcast needs to come out every week. And for the most part, it has. I don't I think we've missed maybe like eight episodes tops and I've stopped counting the episodes. <laughs> I stopped numbering them because uh, I just lost track, frankly. Mm-hmm. But it's it's at least close to 300. I think I started doing this That's in 2018. Amazing. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot. And it's like you said, it's really easy to get burnt out on those kinds of things. And I... Uh, I I released like a very short like six minute thing a couple months back. I'm like I'm I'm burnt out. I I can't keep doing this. And some people mm-hmm. message me like, yeah, I could tell. Like, well, why didn't anybody tell me I was burnt out? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, like, why didn't anybody tell me? <laughs> I get that because I feel like a lot of times there's so much pressure to keep up with you know the constant uploads, keep up with just you know working in those content minds, and then. The more I think about it and talk to other people, I realize all of that pressure is just coming from me entirely. I don't think there's anyone out yeah. there who expects anyone to keep, you know, uploading continuously every single week, every single day like this. But I think yeah. it's pretty easy to get in your head. It's like, no, I need to do I this. If to. I don't, I'm going to like fall out of the public, whatever. <laughs> Nobody will remember me if I miss a week. Like, exactly. no, that's not true. Like... <laughs> Maybe if your band doesn't play any shows for like four months, people will be like, "Are you still a band?" But like, like, like we have subscribers and stuff. But I don't think most people are at the point where people are like, "Okay, every week at every 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 Wednesday and Thursday at noon, Emily releases a demo." No, I don't think anybody's like that. Yeah. And if you are, thanks, Sassy Cat. I I love you too. <laughs> Like, like my commenters like i missed the notification I'm like it's the same time every day <laughs> it's all right it's still gonna be there even if you miss the drop even if you miss the live chat which is you know sometimes quite lively and fun it's not it's okay it's okay uh, you know i yeah i got i'm looking at my like filmed which is you know, then I'm looking at my ready to film. Like I have um I use Todoist. So it's kind of mm-hmm. like a Trello board. Oh, totally. I like, use Notion oh, for mine. Nice. So I'm like, yeah, here are things I can move over. And I'm like, okay, you know what? I think I was maybe a little optimistic about my um free time. Cause now I'm thinking like, oh, I might be in port towns and recording. Mm-hmm. Uh, like like the week of like October sixth through eleventh, and I might be, uh, and then I'm going to have my anniversary trip to Victoria the fourteenth, like the thirteenth through the fifth. Like, I'm, what am I, when am I going to film stuff? <laughs> <laughs> just going to do it in the car on the plane. Totally, yeah. Just yeah. demos on a plane. That is that's going to be a new. <laughs> oh series. my god, you'd be the rudest <laughs> person. When I when I had a traveler guitar to, to demo, mm-hmm. I, I did. Uh, my husband filmed me playing in the airport because we had a six hour delay <laughs> and then we had like our own little row on the airplane because it was like really weird bulkhead seats He's like you should take out the guitar and i'm like no 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 i don't want to condone <laughs> that like i don't want to be that person and then we went to europe um every time we got on a plane they reminded people that it's illegal to film somebody without their consent with the like purpose of like disparaging them Mm-hmm. Well, on an airplane it is i guess there was so many problems with it but it's like 
I do think we should outlaw filming on airplanes. <laughs> and like, <laughs> come, let's just come on, man. Like, that's some weird, like, middle ground between out in public and in a private mm-hmm. place. That's like, you yeah. Can I also feel like people just got so weird when it came to what I don't know what you call it, call like flight etiquette since the pandemic. Yeah. Oh, like, I don't even know fly. if it's just the proliferation of platforms like tiktok and youtube shorts but just i feel like every week there's a new video of someone just losing their goddamn mind on a plane for some odd reason not usually a mask but you (laughs) yeah it's not really masks anymore but um like i i think that there's this like weird um thing where people will like borderline start a fight and then just film the person uh, like because oh, like you don't like you don't know what kind of thing sometimes i think it's a bit of a setup and sometimes it has been like reported like well yes these people started filming this person but what happened mm-hmm. before that is this person has like a receipt like a literal receipt or whatever that this person was was in the right like mm-hmm. it just kind of things like it shouldn't have it shouldn't have escalated like that and uh i don't know i think people can just be so rude i think people forgot how to fly honestly yeah and I now there's that. like Something I read about like all the time is someone asked me to switch seats and then they were real dicks when I didn't say <laughs> yes. And it's always mm-hmm. like, yeah, I was flying first class on points and mm-hmm. someone comes up and they're like, hey, I want my kid to sit with me in first class because they're back there. I'm like, how about read this story? You, yeah. How about it, because it happens all the time. Yeah. How about you ask whoever's sitting next to your kid if they want to sit in first class now, bro? Like that seems like that seems like someone would do that without a second thought and uh yeah i mean i was flying (laughs) i was flying first class to minneapolis st paul i actually was i I went to minneapolis to like Uh hang out with a friend and i flew first first class class on point on points (laughs) okay on points on alaska (laughs) and i had extra points so i flew first class on points i it's something i do like once every five years i get enough points i pick a very short flight i fly first class on it to 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 feel how the other half lives mm-hmm. and the guy in the bulkhead asked me if i would switch so he could sit next to his wife and i just said no and he was like fine with it like it's like two and it's like two and a half hours dude you can like you guys can be separated for that i'm like i don't want to sit in the bulkhead and he's like understandable I'm like yeah yeah it is understandable. I feel that. have you ever mm-hmm. taken someone up on the offer to swap seats before I have never been in a position where I was asked and said, like, felt okay saying yes. I feel okay. like, like, I think this happens. I mean, I, I, I'm i trying to think. I don't think I've ever been asked in a way where I was, like, fine saying yes. But also, I feel weird about not sitting in my assigned seat. Mm-hmm. Well, I've, I've actually asked people to switch before. Oh, and they okay. did. Yeah. I've never yeah. done that, but there was one flight I was taking. There was, there was a period of time in my life where I was kind of commuting between Seattle and L.A. And on one of those flights, I think from Seattle to L.A., like this little kid, she's probably like 12 or something, came up to me and asked if I could switch seats because uh, she wants it next to her friend. And I said, yeah, because I was flying alone. Like I didn't have yeah. any reason to really. And we were swapping coach seats. Um, but like you must just people may not take that offer very often because the flight attendants were just like, oh my god, that's so nice of you. You're such a hero. Blah blah blah. Like free okay. drinks for like for the entire oh. flight. I'm like, okay. And what what is that flight like? Two and a half hours from yeah. Seattle to L.A. 
I abused the crap Good. out of my free drinks for that. It was awesome. Oh, man, that's all. That is awesome. <laughs> well, one thing for me is now I think it's a, like like financially dangerous to switch seats with people because like on Alaska, you mm-hmm. can connect your seat to your credit card. So if you switch seats with somebody, the flight attendant might say, use the card on file. And I've actually I have read about this happening to somebody where they're like, oh, I switched seats with somebody. And then um, I went back and looked at my credit card and it said I bought like two drinks that I didn't buy. No, I'm like, shit. well, that. Yeah, I'm like, at that point, reach out to the airline, explain I switched seats and maybe they'll refund you. But yeah, that's. I don't think I would do that anymore uh, without mm-hmm. telling the flight attendant and making sure that they knew <laughs> that I was yeah. switching seats. I had uh, no that's... idea that was a thing. Oh, really? Yeah. I was on a United flight, I think, last year for Gear Fest, mm-hmm. and I was trying to buy food on the airplane, and they would only take payment through the app. Mm-hmm. So it had to be a card on file. And I couldn't get the in-flight internet to work and I couldn't get like the credit card put in. I'm like, God damn it. And the person next to me was like, do you have Venmo? I'm like, yeah, I have Venmo. Like when we mm-hmm. land, just Venmo me. I'm like, okay, thank you. Thank you, sweet angel. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I didn't like buy alcohol or anything. I was like, I need a sand. I need like the adult Lunchables they give you on those <laughs> airplanes. Mm-hmm. They I, are I like adult, that. like the snack They packs. are. But it'd be the exact same thing as Lunchables. Like all the only thing that's missing is no, because they have the cellophane wrapper. So just color it yellow. Put the mm. little window where I can see like the <laughs> tiny little bit of like reconstituted ham through it. And oh, then... the ham ones were the worst, dude. Like <laughs> I know. It's like the pizza ones. Like they weren't great, but there wasn't like that rubberiness of that meat that you just had to put on a cracker with a weird little piece of cheese. Ugh. Yeah, that was that was the textural experience that came to define the foods i do not like as an adult rubbery (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely like anytime i have some just like horribly cooked piece of meat that's pretty rubbery or something like that then i immediately just get blasted back to kindergarten opening up my lunchable and being a little sad that that's what i'm eating yeah (laughs) you know what i as a kid my favorite lunchables i didn't really care about the food but the ones that came with a tiny can of soda that I don't was, remember the or oh, those yeah. like the like the primo lunchables. I don't think my parents ever would have let me. Yeah, there's something called like lunchable extremes or something. I don't know. Like whatever 90s branding it was at the time. Extreme. And I remember specifically the burger ones came. Like it was it was like one tiny little slider in there that you piece together and then the tiniest little can of soda. Oh my god. Yeah, I'm looking like maxed out mega mm-hmm. uploaded Max, I think it was called Maxed Out. That sounds including a cheese and ham option with 660 calories and 22 grams of fat. It was earn the medal meal first place on the list of five worst packaged lunchbox meals by the Cancer Project. What? What Okay, I didn't know that was a thing. I did not know that either. Gross. But uh, speaking of gross, uh, let's talk about the founder of Rolling Stone and now former like board member for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, uh, D-Bag extraordinaire, Yan Winner, in his recent <sighs> interview with the New York Times. Like, listen, I've never seen the trash take itself out so like effectively. <laughs> yeah. You know what? On that article you sent me, I read through the whole thing. I read it 
twice. Like, you know, you know, when you feel like you might have misread something, so you go back and you read it slower, you read it aloud to yourself to make sure you got everything. And the more that I understood the content of the article, the worse it got. And when I finally got to the bottom, the top comment on that article was like, oh, I read this headline. It's probably better with context, reads the context. This is even worse now. It is worse with context. So for those who who don't know, Yan Winner uh, founded Rolling Stone magazine, and uh, he started the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with a few other people. And um, he's just notoriously hated women. (laughs) I don't know how else to to describe it, (laughs) but like he just notoriously doesn't really like women at all as like a concept, I think. And uh, he was interviewed in the New York Times because he just released a book featuring interviews with some of the biggest legends in rock and roll, and they are all white and they are all male. So in the New York Times, the guy basically asked them just of, what would you say to the critics who are like pointing this out? And he says something like, uh, let's see. Uh, They were not. The interviewer asked Winner to further explain the selection process. This is, I'm reading this from The Hollywood Reporter which is addressed in the book's introduction where he writes that performers of color and female performers are not in his zeitgeist. So in the intro of the book, he acknowledges there are no women and there are no people of color. And he (laughs) clarifies, I put air quotes in there, when I was referring to the zeitgeist, I was referring to black performers, not to the female performers, okay, just to get that accurate. (laughs) The selection was not a deliberate selection. (laughs) It was kind of intuitive over the years. It just fell together that way. The people had to meet a couple criteria, but it was just kind of my personal interest and love of them. And so far as the women, just none of them were as articulate enough on this intellectual level. Uh, the interviewer pushed back on th- that assertion by citing Joni Mitchell and Winner responded, uh, it's not that they're not creative geniuses. It's just that they're inarticulate. Although, go have, although, Go have a deep conversation with Grace Slick or Janice Joplin. Please be my guest. You know, Joni was not a philosopher of rock and roll. She didn't, in my mind, meet that test. Not by her work, not by other interviews she did. The people I interviewed were kind of philosophers of rock and roll. Oh, wow, that is worse with context. Like So much worse with context. And then, like, the question that immediately came to my mind is, what is this criteria for a rock and roll philosopher that he keeps citing? Because that's, you know, like within all the questions, which I really give props to the interviewer for this because he really asked some great questions, great clarifying questions, not letting the issue go, not trying to make him look good. Um, but what the fuck is that criteria? What is someone <laughs> a philosopher of rock? Just just vibes, dude. Just vibes. Exactly. Vibes and it- balls. <laughs> Vibes and balls. That's that's gonna be his new book that he's putting out. But vibes and vibes and balls. Like there was, I have I have a big sort of um, theory on the majority of people who end up in these interviews and stick their foot in their mouth. If you just kind of like don't, if you just kind of shut up and you know say things that a normal person would, and stop trying to make everything this big convoluted statement. You're gonna be fine. Yeah, like if he no, just you, said, yeah. if he just said, like, look, I realize, you know, this book is all white dudes, but hey, I wanted to interview people that I grew up listening to. Perfectly understandable. Yeah. 
Yeah. But no, I mean, it he doesn't, wanted it, something that's all encompassing of what rock is. He wanted to justify it in an intellectual way. And he just comes across as a bigot. And this is this, the thing is, like, this is not new for Yan. Like, mm-hmm. if you read Kathy, I believe Kathy Valentine in her memoir, people are like, ask all the time, why aren't the Go Go's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? And she says, I can tell you why. And now they are. So since mm-hmm. her book came out and there was new, like, light shed on this, uh, basically, <laughs> Yan doesn't like the go-go's because the, here's the thing the go-go's should have been in there really quickly because beauty and the beat is the only and i did fact check this claim only <laughs> album by an all-female band who wrote every word wrote every note played every note on the record that went number one the only record ever by a no female way. band where they did everything that hits number one yeah That's like insane. i don't know yeah, I don't know if the Bengals ever went mm-hmm. number one with their record, but they had male co-writers. I mean, Manic Monday was written by Prince, so like that's mm-hmm. out of that's out of them. Like I don't know, and I don't think that a solo female performer would qualify unless she also like had an all-female band. So mm-hmm. you think about that, and you're like, that is really specific because of the bands, like the all-girl, all quote all-girl bands, as they would say, that I can think mm-hmm. of. One, there aren't many and that like have done well commercially. Uh, yeah, I think that's kind of one. There aren't many. <laughs> and like, why is that? And it's because of people like Yan Winner, who mm-hmm. um, put the Go-Go's on the cover of Rolling Stone. They didn't like because they didn't like the sub, the, the text on the cover. It was a Annie Leibovitz shoot where they were all in like Hanes underwear, like not sexy underwear. Mm hmm. And the 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 headline was the Go Go's put out, and they took umbrage with this, understandably. And he, so I think their publisher, somebody called him, was like, "What the fuck, Yan?" And he said, "I thought you were calling to thank me." Are you fucking serious? I am. I am serious. I'm pretty sure it was Yan. It was some major Rolling Stone exec, but he was on the board of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and he just wouldn't let bands get nominated that he didn't like. So there are like a lot of bands that he just doesn't like who I think now that he's no longer on the board might get nominated this year because he's just been blocking them. It's a personal thing. He has been a little malignant spot on the Rock Hall, which is already kind of a malignant thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like, it's like the Rock, like obviously the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is like as a concept, if you're very punk rock, isn't cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like, there's you can still look and be like if anybody's in there these people deserve like iron maiden deserves to be in there right right totally so just it's it's completely subjective like it's not based on merits at all it's just kind of like he would just look around at bands be like yeah i like you let's put you in was is that the selection process or more i think it was yeah kind of that a lot of like i don't like you so we're not including you i think he originally wanted the rock and roll hall of fame to be more of like socially conscious rock and stuff like that which that's very like okay yeah it's this boomer idea of socially conscious and i don't mean to disparage all boomers but this is gonna be a very boomery episode like (laughs) a boomer takes but like you talk about like mick jagger as his, his example of a philosopher of rock and roll 
Mm-hmm. This is nothing, not a dig on Mick Jagger, but I think Mick Jagger would be like, uh, he, he got his the, his whole like uh, stage persona was heavily inspired mm-hmm. by Tina Turner when she opened up for them. He loved how she worked the crowd at the stage and he started doing that. Like they all stole from black performers. Every yeah. white person in this book stole heavily or borrowed was inspired by let's not say <laughs> Seth, influence from <laughs> immediate influence from <laughs> black reformers so to just be like well and then he was like well you know if otis redding had lived <laughs> maybe it would have been otis redding or maybe if like marvin gay maybe it would have been marvin gay in this book i'm like mm-hmm. well what about like stevie wonder dude <laughs> like seriously like what about like there are lots of living black performers who Mm -hmm. you could have interviewed for this who were like hugely influential in rock and roll or you could have done it like i don't know 10 years like (laughs) i don't i don't understand it um i i i mean i understand it (laughs) in some way it's not great bob yeah it's it's insane just I know with with every single thing that happens like this, where it's a big publication that is, in a way, supposed to tell the history or, um, I don't know, the current state of music or anything else, it's always such a missed opportunity to not include, I don't know, more varied points of view. Like, for the longest time, music and the music industry has been such a male-dominated space, like a white male-dominated space, that wouldn't you want to have, like, one interview in there that maybe was like, hey, this is what it was like to be in this space as someone who was Black, or this is what it was like to be in the space as someone who is not a dude. I mean, for just, I'm I'm a little bit, like, close to this just because I got my starts working in recording studios, which is a very, very male-dominant space. I really wanted to be a recording engineer and do that. And there's a very good reason why I'm no longer in that industry. Like, it's just, it's a very hard thing to make it when you're not part of that, you know, Boys that club. majority. Yeah. Yeah. It's very easy to fall into boys club stuff when that's all you're ever around. And totally. uh, as far as, like, being another man. And I, I, I you know... I think the biggest mistake people make is they're like, oh, well, I just haven't found like none of these people were in my circle. I'm like, well, maybe you should be working to expand your circle a little bit. I mean, if companies only hired internally, uh, they, they're they really limiting their talent pool. You have to go mm-hmm. out and find good candidates for a job and you have to go out and find good musicians for a bill or you got to go out and find good musicians for your band. You have to make an effort to find good. And I think you have to make an effort to foster diversity because naturally as people, we segment ourselves around people who are like us, people with whom we have stuff in common. And it's you can get into a rut in that way. It's why I do like it when brands make an effort for diversity. And for the record, most studies show that going woke is good for business. <laughs> <laughs> for, for you know, and just letting people see themselves in this thing that doesn't usually happen. And Yan acknowledges that he, quote, could uh, he could have reconsidered his position, quote, just for public relations sake. Maybe I should have gone and found one black and one woman artist to include here. 
that didn't measure up to that same historical standard just to avert this criticism. I'm sorry. I don't. Th- how out of touch is this guy if he thinks having a token black person <laughs> and a token woman would have made people happy? This is like the fucking interview equivalent to like, hey, I'm not racist. I've got a black friend. But he doesn't have a black friend. <laughs> he doesn't have a woman friend either. <laughs> no, I met a black person once. No, that's, that's the equivalent of it. Yeah, yeah, we were in the same room at one time. So <laughs> yeah, 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 I rode the subway with a black guy once. It's it real scary. What the fuck, dude? What is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? I can't believe that was an actual quote. I did not read that one. That is, that is, that is. That's I think he. Shit. I really think he should have said found one black artist and one woman artist because it does feel like he's just saying he's just calling someone a black. <laughs> <laughs> I know what he's saying. I know what he's saying, but it's like, oh my god, that's so wrong. <laughs> Just like I cannot. Depending imagine... on where you stop the quote, <laughs> it the, gets really exactly. weird. <laughs> the audacity <laughs> of thinking this was an okay thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it just goes to show, like the people he wrote this book for, he, he thinks think like him, and mm-hmm. I don't think he's understood that. Like people have figured out that, like Sister Rosetta Tharp invented rock and roll. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like strange things happen in every day. It has a is a great contender for the first rock and roll song of all time. Like the only thing that you know maybe it has it's like the shuffling drums instead of like the straight mm-hmm. tempo. Like it has everything else that rock and roll has. Oh my god. Not that she's alive, but like my dude. Try harder. Just do it. Just try harder. Yeah. And if you ask yourself, why are all all the older black artists dead and not the older white ones? Like maybe they didn't have as great opportunities for like keeping themselves alive as the white ones. Like you gotta think of there's so many reasons. There's so many bad things and also you got to work harder. You got to try. Mm-hmm. And it just doesn't yeah. seem like he did. And it seems no, like he's like, like thinking and like, like Otis Redding's dead and Marvin Gaye is dead. And like, mm-hmm. okay, Herbie Hancock isn't dead. Yeah. He's more of a jazz musician, but still. Herbie Hancock isn't dead, is he? No, no, he's not dead. Oh, thank God. I unless, don't want to panic. Unless something goes wrong the day that this comes out, I don't think he's dead. Oh, my God. Okay, he's 83. <laughs> I mean, you could have interviewed. Um, oh god quincy jones he's not an artist per se Mm -hmm. but he was a producer who produced some crazy influential stuff um that's just that's an easy example and quincy jones called masters if there's anyone you should have in there it's quincy jones yeah and the thing is like you cannot make that articulate argument against quincy jones without having a ton of people say you're really you're like like, out of pocket like Mm -hmm. come on man that's the thing that i was so curious about with like specifically his emphasis on oh they're not articulate Articulate. what does that mean like are you just talking about they're not good at speaking how can you say Joni mitchell's not articulate that is one of the most like banana things i've ever heard somebody say in my life yeah absolutely i also just like anyone who has the composure to be on stage i'm assuming can hold a conversation so uh, that's a big assumption though these people, i gotta be honest it's a big, it's a big so it's a naive about this well okay I, I think a good example of you know maybe not the best in like interviews per mm-hmm. se uh slash is always interesting in interviews like he's he's not 
he's he's not i don't i don't think so much a talker um Mm -hmm. but like i've seen interviews with him i've never interviewed him but he seems like he might be a difficult interview (laughs) okay so i think some people are probably more difficult interviews but like i don't think Joni mitchell's one of them i just Mm -hmm. can't i i'm I'm having a lot of trouble getting apart from that and he's talking about go have a conversation with janice joplin or grace slick i'm like well i think they're both dead i think grace slick's Mm -hmm. dead i think she died a number of years ago but like also they were Grace Slick. Grace Slick is also 83. She's alive. Just everyone's the same age here. <laughs> I've never heard, listened to an interview with Grace Slick, but I'm if she's sober, I'm pretty sure she has some fan fucking tastic stories. Like because mm-hmm. I think that when you when you think about like that criticism, it really felt like he was talking about the fact that they, you know, were pretty famously uh, substance misusers. Mm-hmm. Um to, to put it politely like obviously janice joplin died of instance relating to ingesting drugs or alcohol and grace has has very famously had major issues with that but what about like debbie harry dude <laughs> yeah and to, like to go what further on the, his sort of the wilson sisters <laughs> yeah i mean like because when he was pushed for you know like what do you if you haven't interviewed these people how do you know they're inarticulate? And he responded with, well, you know, I've read other articles of them and I've listened to their music. Those were the two key points that he gave as his reasoning. What about Chrissy Hine, motherfucker? <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, I would, I, I, that is like slap in the face worthy to, to, mm-hmm. to say that. And also I do want to point out just like the, the, the words, in our, the word inarticulate that can often have some really negative racial connotations for people who aren't mm-hmm. like aware. Like a weird backhanded compliment black people get is like, oh, you're so articulate. You don't usually say that about white people. Have you heard that one before? I've never heard of that. That is Yeah. Fucked. Okay. It's it's just I don't know if it's still like as much a thing, but mm-hmm. I remember that being like a major talking point uh for a while. I mean, like, I haven't heard that specifically, like the word articulate used but i mean some of my friends have showed me some things that get said to them like some some of my some of my black guy friends have shown me things that they get on like tinder or something it's like wow you're really smart smart for a and it's just right the the people know what they're doing when they say shit like that they fucking have to like i can't imagine not knowing exactly what you're doing and like saying that saying something so Mm -hmm. ignorant like there are people who just try to get a rise out of you and like is it weird that I kind of hope I don't I don't want it to be intentional, but also it's just like in it's weird to think about that not being intentional. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's worse, like intentionally yeah. being that way or being that ignorant in 2023. Yeah, I guess I've always tried to err on the side of like people aren't outwardly malicious; they're just incredibly ignorant, right? Yeah. But you, but you can usually tell the difference when. You can make you can tell the difference when somebody said when you respond. What do you mean by that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean by that, boy. <laughs> Good God! <laughs> <laughs> you know exactly what I mean. Is is the, the undercurrent? Like if that's how, that's how they respond, yeah. there's your fucking answer. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> oh my god! Oh, that's that. that's not comfy. <laughs> no, it's uncomfortable. Uh, <laughs> On that note, our sponsor of this week's episode is just kidding. (laughs) Thanks, Spotify. Uh, 
<laughs> just just give it a good like 30 second break before the ad thing so it's not associated, right? <laughs> the old YouTuber trick. <laughs> oh boy, and I am putting in sponsor spot. Roll it. <laughs> That's what you get, Spotify, for taking away my monetization next month. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. And Spotify for podcasters, uh, it used to be like a pretty, um, you know, not the world's easiest barrier to entry to monetization, but they made it a lot harder. Like they mm-hmm. made it. It went from like two hundred monthly listeners, which I had pretty easily, to um, like what is it now? You have to have a thousand Spotify listeners, specifically on Spotify unique ones within the past 60 days that one's a little bit harder to get so mm-hmm. um i'm not far from it but i'm far enough from it that i don't think i'm gonna make it so that's what you get spotify and also they don't listen <laughs> to this so i don't give a shit yeah it's funny how much of like social media strategy i've consumed specifically around youtube that i have no idea how it works with any other platforms i don't know the metrics i don't know the strategies mm-hmm. i don't know like any of the sort of benchmarks you're supposed to hit but mm-hmm. yeah memorize so for, them all for youtube <laughs> are yeah you're monetized on youtube i am yeah yeah so for people who don't know it's a thousand subscribers and four thousand watch hours over the past uh, 365 days and then the mm-hmm. revenue the revenue metrics are kind of the same across most platforms like the rpm is the revenue per mil which is the amount of money you as the creator take home after uh for every 1000 viewers or whatever and the the RPM on Spotify, it's um fourteen dollars for listens on Spotify and eleven dollars for listens on other platforms, which is wildly higher than other publications. Like I thought, I thought they would just reduce. High. Yeah, I know. That's why I'm telling everybody. To, that's why I told a lot of people to move to Spotify podcasters because I'm like, there's a lot of money you're leaving on the table if you're using something like Podbean that mm-hmm. isn't paying you probably nearly as much like i make more money on you uh i make way less money on youtube it's like i think the average rpm on youtube is four dollars for most creators so Mm -hmm. for every thousand views you get on your videos you take home four dollars that's why people want to do the super chats that's why people do premieres and ask you you super chat that's why they do lives and ask you to super chat even though youtube takes about 30 percent of that as well or that's Mm -hmm. why we like affiliate i i get like um I think it's four to eight percent affiliate revenue on Sweetwater. So whenever somebody buys, um, I think it's eight, six or eight percent for software. So if somebody buys a two hundred fifty dollars software suite, I get eight percent of that back, okay. which is cool. Yeah, but those are that's kind of the big thing to know. There's also the CPM, which is what advertisers are paying to advertise mm-hmm. on your channel, and then you can see the the vast difference between the nine dollars they pay and the four dollars you take back. And you're like, God damn it, YouTube. <laughs> I get that. Were were you um did you hit monetization before shorts became a thing on YouTube? I did. And okay. I and I had some shorts take the fuck off before monetization. Um yeah. why do you ask? Uh cuz when I was like before I was monetized with um those metrics they're saying that you can also hit something like I think it's 10,000 views of your shorts um within the within 90 days and that will count instead of your 4,000 watch hours of like view time yeah they're really pushing the shorts but they're paying like nine they're paying like five cents is the rpm so that's the revenue per mil so i have Mm -hmm. a short that's been that was monet that once they started the shorts monetization that was let's see february 
first, it looks like. So since mm-hmm. February 1st, this reel has made a dollar fifty. And let me look at the da, 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 da. I wanna I'm gonna I'm gonna bring receipts. So ten that's in that this reel at the time of monetization started had ten thousand six hundred and sixty one uh views. Now it has uh about less about eighteen thousand more. So in eighteen thousand mm-hmm. views, I've made a dollar and five cents. Wow, that is bad. That's quite the ratio. <laughs> yeah, if this was an Instagram reel back when reels had monetization, you make a hundred bucks really, really quickly, and then um, it, it's it it goes up really. Uh, this must not video. It goes up really sharply, and then it flattens out basically, and then you can kind of mm-hmm. incrementally make more. I think the most I made was like one hundred twenty bucks in a month. Oh, I missed that easy hundred dollars. That's awesome. That's that's great for just doing a reel. Yeah, that's why they took it away. They wanted. <laughs> they basically wanted everyone who was eligible, which was just in the United States, to content. Make, oh, all, all the United States, not just continental. Um, mm-hmm. So they they made it so that everyone can make at least a hundred bucks pretty quickly. But if you were really really big, you could make significant amount of money. Damn, I want yeah. bring me back to that. I want that. Bring it back. <laughs> Let me just I'm call missing. Zuck. <laughs> Zuck. Zuck, do better, do better. I remember, I've seen all these creators on Twitter. I'm not, I'm not going to call it its new name or whatever <laughs> on Twitter. Being like, oh, I'm so excited to get monetization from from Elon. Oh my god, this is zero dollars. This is not a, like fuck you, Elon. Like, I love the change of people who were like, I'm going to get money. It's like, is this it? Seriously? <laughs> yeah, that's it. You're tweeting. Yeah. What do you? Why should you get? You're, you're just tweeting. You're not even like making something for most of the, most of the time. Like, like this mm-hmm. is just like something you do maybe in conjunction with the other real content that you create. Like. Wh- it's free money. Twitter content creators? Like, is that a is that a thing? Do people like create? Because you know, like, there's a lot oh, of content creators out there who create just for TikTok or just for Reels, or maybe they don't like. Off the top of my head, I know that the channel abroad in Japan. He does. He hates shorts, so he'll only do long form content. Yeah, but I'm curious. Does anyone create specifically? I'm a Twitter creator. I think else. those people are like commentators. They they do the hot takes. They're just mm-hmm. like they just tw- like most of these people just tweet, and they're and it's not additive to their content particularly if they have other stuff. But you know there are people out there, especially like like uh, political ones, who mm-hmm. all they do is just like hot takes or like try to clown someone on the other side of the aisle, and like yeah, is that that's kind of like this content is I can't believe this website is free kind of shit. Not mm-hmm. that it's really free anymore, <clears throat> but it's like <laughs> eight bucks I, if you want to get seen. So, yeah, so there are like Twitter people, like there are Twitter celebs. Which I, you know, my hot take on celebrity is like I don't think you're famous unless people outside of your immediate niche know who you are. <laughs> that's that's like I just think if like I don't think anybody who does what we do is famous like, yeah. personally, and I think very few YouTube YouTubers are famous like. Is it possible a grandmother knows who you are? No, then you're not famous. Grandmas yeah. only know the famous celebrities. That's the rule. I don't make it. I just abide. So, so the rule for fame is whether grandma knows of your existence. Because I yeah. think that is a great metric to have. I do too. I do too. Because that's like, like, do, do grandmas know you and like have an opinion about you? 
then you've because at that point like especially at like our age younger even like significantly older mm-hmm. like that's not someone that you're just going to come across because <laughs> like, it's not someone yeah. like so if you if, if a grandma knows like an up-and-coming person i'd call that famous <laughs> i was gonna say i don't think that my own grandma would know of my content unless my mom was emailing her the links of every single video i put <laughs> Oh, my my grandmother listened to, listened to every single episode of the podcast. She had no idea what was going amazing. on. She was proud of me. Yeah, that was cute. It's like when I was first getting started, I had some friends like come say, "Hey, I watched your latest video. I don't know what any of that means, but good yeah. job." And this is the reason. Thanks. This is the reason. Like this is mostly in small business, but it's the reason. Like that ad the adage adage exists. Um. Your 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 fans or your customers will become your friends before your friends become your fans or customers. Mm-hmm. And that's just, like your I've supporters that, will become that, your that's friends. True. Yeah, your friends will your your supporters will become your friends way faster than your friends will become your supporters. And it's mm-hmm. it's it's true. And it's I have mixed feelings about it. Like I do feel like it, you should go to your friends' shows more often. But uh, mm-hmm. I think it's also just generally more exciting to get fans or supporters outside of your immediate friend group so like i Mm -hmm. I can't i don't fault my friends for not it's honestly it's weird when my friend it's weird in a great way when i have a friend and like my boss at work was like i watched your uh video i was really good i've been watching some of your videos on the pedals what do you think about this what do you think about and i'm like oh cool and then i had a client who said uh oh i was looking at the new i was trying to find a link about the new cattle and bread pedal the um dirty little secret deluxe which rules by the way mm-hmm. and uh guess what i found on tiktok and it was your reel like oh wow <laughs> not not awkward <laughs> at all <laughs> cool that's awesome i actually just tried the dirty little secret like the the og one oh, um, yeah? a couple weekends ago my first time playing it um and that was a great pedal Do you, i have not seen uh, your video yet on the deluxe one but is it is it pretty much the same circuitry just with the added mods that you know yeah. we're already doing? That's the, okay. the idea. So it's actually um it's it's I hesitate to call it a mod adding mm-hmm. the super bass versus super lead toggle to the top because I don't know if people were really modding it that way, but like it it used to be inside the pedal, and now you can flip it on the fly. And there's mm-hmm. also I forget which I think it was the presence trim pot that used to be on the inside and now it's a knob on the outside. And now there's a boost. So like I just I, I think it's like Obviously, people love that pedal, and it sounds mm-hmm. great. And it's been kind of, in my opinion, one of the f- best Marshall in a box kind of pedals um, on the market. So to now have a deluxe version, I don't, I really don't know why that video didn't do better. <laughs> like I don't, like a lot of the videos just to kind of like they didn't do great or didn't do great mm-hmm. quickly. I don't know if it's because it's just like a deluxe of a pedal a lot of people already have. I hope it sells really well because I think it's a really cool thing that they did. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes you just don't know what people want, and it's really, really hard to like be in pedals right now and stand out at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, huh? I didn't realize it was like super. Is it like just a really saturated market? In terms it's so of- saturated right now. Yeah, that's that's my really? opinion, and I also think part of it is like I feel like there was a lot before the pandemic, like a lot of content that could be sustained, and there maybe weren't as many companies doing it on like a big scale. But mm-hmm. at this point, there's just like there's oh, everyone wants to release on Tuesdays and then you have three or four releases on a Tuesday and only one of them can stand out, really. Only one of them can like win release day, air quotes, mm-hmm. win. 
I keep forgetting I don't actually have the camera. <laughs> you have to just verbalize every air quote. Yeah, I have to verbalize it. Um, I was very happy when you said this is going to be audio only because I'm just like wearing last night's makeup. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't washed my hair today. Oh, yeah. I might, I might not. I might just put on a hat. It's the weekend, baby. And I it's... filmed last night. I'm not filming again today. I might mix something. I might record something, but I'm not filming shit. Oh, yeah. I thought about like, you know, like getting ready like a human does in the morning, but I'm going to be locked to my computer for the rest of the day editing. So, yeah. What's the point? Sweatpants or in my case, jeggings. <laughs> jeggings. I haven't jeggings. heard that word since, what, 2009? <laughs> Dude, I don't know if I actually said this on the podcast yet, so I'll tell it to you. Mm-hmm. But I think I might have mentioned this to Monique last week, but I got to Germany and realized I hadn't packed a, packed a second pair of pants. I'd only packed the pair uh-huh. of pants I wore on the plane and they were not comfortable and they were also way heavier and warmer than Germany should have been. So we walked our asses in like 95 degree heat, uh, like a mile <gasps> to some little boutique and they had 18 euro jeggings. So I bought two pairs. I bought one in black and one in orange and I wore them all week and I was pleased with my decision. Hell yeah. 18-year-old jeggings. That is a good find. I know. I'm like, it was like kind of H&M-ish, but smaller. Mm-hmm. Like, it was just like, a, like, it was fast fashion. Like, none of this stuff was yeah. going to last. And it was all on sale. I'm like, you know, it's getting the job done. And they look good. Mm-hmm. I, I'm like, you know, I, I know it's very much my age and my generation to wear the skinny jeans. But you, like, I like, I think, I, I think they look good with a pair of boots. No, skinny jeans are dope. Yeah, that was yeah. like the entirety of my childhood was just wearing skinny jeans and whatever band t-shirt I had lying around. Yeah, I went from flares being the thing to skinny jeans being the mm-hmm. thing. Like flares and boot cut and then skinny jeans. And now the kids are wearing clothes that actually look comfortable. But some of them are trying to wear the the, the stuff that I wore, like kids around me wore in the 90s. Like y'all, mm-hmm. don't don't get the t-shirts that like are borderline crop tops. And the little capped sleeves. They don't they don't look good on like I'm watching I'm it's problematic. I'm rewatching America's Next Top Model. Because uh-huh. it's just a comfort show. And uh I'm like, oh my God, this is so indicative of like what these women are wearing. Like low cut jeans, a, a top that doesn't like isn't even trying to cover any part of the belly, and then mm-hmm. the cap sleeves. I'm like, you know what? It doesn't look great on these women either. <laughs> You know, when mm. high-waisted jeans came in or high-waisted pants in general came in a few years ago, I swore I was never letting that go because to have just pants that actually want to stay on and yeah. are actively working to yeah. stay on your body, yeah. game changer. Absolutely. You're not having to constantly hike up your jeans. Yeah. You're not afraid. I'm not afraid of bending over anymore. <laughs> I'm just like, bend over. No worries. In public. <laughs> I'm not going to not going to be the plumber. I trust my clothing. I trust it. And you know, it looks so much better for the high waisted. Like you can tuck in a shirt too, mm-hmm. which is a, sometimes like for like a button up or something. Um, it's just a better look. <laughs> it's more put yeah. together. Like I have so like I have a couple flannels that are just really long. And mm-hmm. if I didn't tuck them in, it would look so unkempt. What a drag. <laughs> I get that. No, honestly, high-waisted pants are my favorite things because, like, I have been cursed with um, the shortest legs in the history of people. So, like, when I put on a pair of high-waisted pants, I look normal. Like, I have actual human proportions, and it's 
fantastic. You know, it's it's great to to fit in with the other humans. <laughs> totally. I my mom always told me my height's in my torso, which is why I have trouble with t-shirts. Uh, <laughs> oh my god. I don't think we're gonna go get to Joe Bonamassa advocating oh. for hearing loss, but whatever. So Joe Bonamassa yeah. made some comment about like how like reducing stage volume is killing rock and roll. I'm like, I don't know, man. I think it's just saving people's hearing. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And saving um, the live sound engineer a ton of work. A ton of work. What a selfish take is kind yeah. of my my opinion on that. I'm like, you know, when the engineer can actually control everything and when the stage is quiet as possible, you don't have things like feedback. Mm-hmm. You don't have things like the guitar trying to like turn up their own amp or something like that. And you just have so much more control over like a direct sound than anything mm-hmm. else and i don't know if he just doesn't like has some vendetta against in-ear monitors or something but i think that maybe uh dude just get get them get in your monitors save your hearing it's great it's great do you know what yeah. it's gonna make your your career last a lot longer because we're not all That's beethoven right. and also if you want you know more guitar you can have your engineer turn it up in your monitor too yeah that's an option like it, it reminded me of something my <laughs> Something my brother did all the time when he was still playing in a bunch of bands was he would do his whole sound check, and then when they were done with the sound check, he would turn up his amp. So it's <laughs> like, dude, Mm-mm. come on! Nope, nope, nope. That's how you get in fights. You want to start a fight? Don't get in a fight with the sound gen- sound engineer unless they really have it coming. They're the ones who was in charge of you know making you sound good. So get them on yeah. your side. <laughs> I think you know. Part of me wonders if this is like. A, a character Joe Bonamassa has, like to be the boomeriest <laughs> guitarist that Gen X has ever produced. Like, I don't know. It kind of feels like that's his thing. It also seemed like he was complaining that like it doesn't sound as good. And I gotta disagree with that, man. I don't. I think most people in the audience can't tell the difference because, like, if you listen to the radio or a recording, you, can you tell the difference between a triggered kick drum and a real kick? You can't because they're all triggered. Nobody, mm-hmm. no a drum set is so hard to mic, and it's such a time saver to just trigger things like the kick and the snare. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've recorded some live drum kits before. Oh yeah, and then I go in and replace a lot of those kicks. Yeah, because not only is it just easier to trigger it, no one can really tune a kick that I've mm-hmm. met. So yeah, but, I'd but rather you can just- if you have Easy Drummer. <laughs> yeah exactly so yeah i'd rather just you know get that get that mic in really close to the beater so i can get my impulses and then just go in and replace it yeah yeah if you don't have like an actual trigger setup that's that's what we do and then of course like sometimes you have to duck the other parts whenever the kick hits otherwise Mm -hmm. it won't stand out as well like i I was reading about people like just ducking the bass whenever the kick drum hits to make it more present so like that's easier to do when it's when it's an impulse response you know Or an actual, totally. an actual sample or something, you know. Um, that's just how it is. And then I like what he said. Uh, he he talked about influencers, and, and he says, which is great. I encourage anyone with a business model to do it like that, like do Instagram and YouTube and stuff. And he says, how long can you stay inspired doing one minute videos? And uh, I I don't know, man. Like, how easy is it to stay inspired being a touring musician and making like zero money? <laughs> I think that's pretty hard. I think yeah. Beth, is it 
Beach, Best Coast, Bethany from Best Coast. I saw her, she did TikTok talking about how hard it is to make money as a touring musician right now. She says, I'm really glad that I made all my money in like my 20s and I had smart business people around me who helped me invest that money because otherwise I wouldn't be able to do this. And sometimes I wonder how long I'm going to be able to afford to do this. And I love it. And yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I'm like, you know, I think that's pretty indicative of how hard it is to stay inspired as a musician. I think we shouldn't pretend that it's that it's like easier to stay inspired being a musician and playing music when you come home every night, like potentially like having zero extra money and having maybe spent more at the bar or more on gas to get to the gig mm -hmm. or like having to blow it all on a hotel room that night because you can't sleep in the car again. That's hard to stay inspired. It's hard to stay inspired doing that. It's not so hard to stay inspired what uh, in the comfort of my own home. <laughs> yeah. You know, like if you're just making content, it's just making content. It's, it's still work. But like if you're, if you're making one minute videos, as Joe Bonamo says, like it's a little easier to be creative when my basic needs are being met. Unlike on tour where I yeah. really can't have McDonald's one more time. Oh, but it's so much safer to eat the McDonald's than it is to eat the salad at the gas station. Yeah, it like, it which, is. Which is more likely just... to give you diarrhea. That's in, like, obviously it's the salad. <laughs> I hate to say it. It's true. It is true. It is true. <laughs> that that a cheeseburger want... from McDonald's is safer to eat than the chicken Caesar salad at the gas station. Like, hmm, <laughs> that's bored. Uh, that's it's marginal at best. Yeah, it's it's definitely it's a gamble. If you want to try and be healthy on tour, which I don't know if that's an actual thing you can do, but if you want to try, it's a gamble. Yeah, it is. Well, if you're unless you're going to like an actual nice restaurant spending all your money. <laughs> no. How <laughs> much how many gas. Can, how much more hummus can you eat? Sabra <laughs> hummus at that. The green room's favorite food. Hummus. Yep. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. On that note. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining Nisebel. Uh, can you remind the listeners where to find you? Of course. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. You can find me over at YouTube at, at Nisebel or on Instagram at, at underscore Nisebel because the first one was taken. Ah, what about TikTok? Are you on TikTok? I'm not. Okay. I, I should be at some point, but actually, I'm I knew letting... the answer to that question. <laughs> I'm, I'm letting the, the millennial in me show through. So. <laughs> <laughs> for sure uh to everybody out there uh please rate and review this podcast if you liked it if you don't i'm so sorry why are you still listening i'm, I'm confused uh <laughs> but please like le tr consider leaving a rating or review it's a great way to support the podcast if you uh are doing the youtube thing please go ahead and subscribe over there maybe watch some of those videos check out the affiliate links in the show notes that's a great way to support the channel doing things that if we're honest, if we're honest with ourselves and each other, we were probably going to do anyway. Uh, take a look out for a video I'm releasing today. If you're listening to this on Tuesday, the 19th, I hope I have that date right. If not, sometime this week, it'll be cool. Um, uh, what have I missed? Oh, Patreon at patreon.com slash get offset for as little as $5 a month. You get access to our exclusive Discord server which is a fun way to hang out with me and some of my other good friends and other supporters for $10 a month. Uh, you get a piece of merch of your choice. I am waiting for a design element before I send out future merch, but hopefully I should have that in the next week or two. Oh God, tell your favorite brands about me. Keep listening. 
keep on rocking in the free world. Um, and don't listen to anything that Yan Winner has to say. <laughs> Please. Please. So for everybody out there, thanks for listening. Thanks for understanding. Until next time, my name is Emily. Goodbye. <laughs>